BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Peter King's Football Morning in America has a mock draft. Everybody has a mock draft. We're eventually going to mm-hmm. have one. Tom, do you have a mock draft? Uh, yeah, we're doing a three-way mock draft today for NBC Sports Boston, and uh, you're going to love it. Oh, I, that's true, because I love every mock draft, because I must know what people who know nothing think about how the draft is going to unfold. Let's face it, none of us know anything about how the draft is going to unfold. And it becomes basically this machine, this monster that just keeps growing and feeding on itself. And, you know, once Mel Kuypers is out there and others are out there, they just kind of morph. And, yeah, and, and it, it's, it's so hard to get a real feel for what's going to happen because no one should be telling anyone the truth. No one who's in a position to exercise any authority whatsoever over any draft picks that are made should be telling anyone the truth about which way the wind is actually blowing because there are strong strategic reasons to not just keep your cards close to the vest but lie about what those cards are because you want to find a way there's two ways to get the guys you want either trade up or you hope they fall to you and i think there's a lot of effort by smart general managers and coaches to say things to media to get them to construct mock drafts a certain way, push certain rumors aimed at allowing those teams to get the guys they want. And when it works, they never do a victory lap because they want to do it again next year too. 100% correct. There is so much benefit to having intel and info out there that you're feeding to a hungry media who otherwise at this time has nothing to talk about except for the draft. We don't have passing camp yet. We don't have mini camps. We have a few guys that we get on Zoom interviews or in person perhaps after a practice that we can generate some content from, but it's the draft. We need new things. We need things to talk about. And pearls, nuggets, and droppings are what we can make a day out of. And really, in the end, folks, we all understand it. We're just trying to punch the clock and get to the 5 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? we got to get our shows done. So those droppings and nuggets become content and fodder for us. 
when people ask, what are the Patriots doing at 21? I'm like, tell me what happened on the first 20 picks. They're 21st. The number of things that can change and dynamics and tumblers that have to fall into place for me to be able to give you a direct answer as to what they're going to do at 21 are crazy. And the fact that this draft is so good from 15 to 50 or even later than that means that all these teams, two first round picks are dying to get out of their spots. They're dying to move back because they could know that they could still get a talented player later and add picks. So this draft more than any is unmockable, Michael. It cannot be mocked. So stop mocking. But the mocking continues. Peter has his, you'll have yours. Sims is going to have his. We'll have one later this week. I outsource mine in large part because I don't feel like doing it, but also because there's some people I know that I trust that, that do this for a living that, you know, have a real reason to understand who the players are. Uh, Yes, I do. Yes. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and then I just, I post the whole thing and I used to tinker with it. Now I just don't even care because no matter what you do, someone's going to say it's the worst mock draft they've ever seen in their entire life. And I'll just agree to that. It is. This is the worst mock draft you'll ever see, but here it is. We've checked the box. We've given you something to talk about. And you're right. People want something to talk about. We need things to talk about. It all comes together and everybody's got a mock draft. Peter has the Jaguars going for Trayvon Walker with the number one overall pick. And I mentioned this earlier. Peter believes that there's going to be a surprise for Jacksonville. Everyone thinks it's Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan pass rusher, that is the odds-on pick. And if you look at the various sports books out there where you can bet on all sorts of different propositions, whether it's first player taken, you can bet on second player taken, third player taken, fourth player taken, over under a number of quarterbacks in round one, when the first Super running back goes, all, all, anything, it's amazing. It's amazing the things on which you can wager, and you can make real money doing it if you have a little inside information. That's a different topic altogether, but there's a real value to have inside information when you're talking about draft picks that aren't games that are played. You go play a game and anything 100%. can happen. When it's draft picks, people know what they're going to do. You get access to what people know they're going to do, what they're actually going to do. You have a huge advantage. So I say that because. I mean, that's why I laugh. The Gatorade color bet. I mean, you know how many people know in advance what color the Gatorade is going to be? Or what color sweatshirt Bill Belichick is going to wear on the sideline? People know that stuff. I don't. But there's enough people who can call a friend and say, do something for me, will you? Boom. And I don't think the NFL right. does anything to regulate that and won't until there's a major scandal involving the mishandling of inside information. And then they'll act like, mm-hmm. oh, we had no idea this was ever going to be a problem. And they'll suspend somebody four games and uh, overdo it and, and scare everyone straight and hope that no one ever does it again. All right. So anyway, there's some buzz that Evan Neal is going to be the guy. And that would be a surprise. As I mentioned earlier, like FanDuel's got 25 to 1 odds, points bet 20 to 1. I think DraftKings is at 16 to 1. I think those numbers are going to move now that this idea is getting out there that it could be Evan Neal, that they could be looking tackle and they could be doing something completely unexpected, but we just don't know. And because no one wants to trade up, talked about that earlier too, no one has fallen in love with any one guy they must have. They're fine to stay where they are, keep their draft capital, don't give up draft picks to move up. Jaguars are going to have to make that pick. So we'll see how that plays out, Tom. But you got to be ready for anything. This draft, really. And this isn't part of the hype machine. This is the truth. I'm ready for anything with every pick that's made. Yeah, and in in some ways, that's fun. I think for every franchise and fan base that wants to see something hatched 
well, why didn't they do something? But it's also, I, I would imagine, somewhat disconcerting for teams in the 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, 19s on down. To, they have to be extremely fluid, extremely malleable to doing whatever they do. You look at the Patriots last year. They needed a quarterback. They were entering the 2021 season with Cam Newton under contract, having been signed as a free agent. Cam Newton was under contract before their free agent spending spree. They needed a quarterback to bring in Hunter Henry and John Smith and Nelson Aguilar. They weren't married to the idea of Mac Jones. Mac Jones could have gone to Carolina. He could have gone to Denver. The New Orleans Saints could have cobbled together some kind of an offer to get ahead of the Patriots. Patriots sat there at 15 and waited, and they got the best quarterback in the 2021 season at the 15th overall pick without even breaking a sweat. And that, to me, is one of the interesting things about this draft. That pick came to them, and God bless them, they pulled the trigger and made the right decision when it got there. But did they know Mac Jones was going to be that much better, or was Mac Jones that much better, as we talked about earlier, because of where he was? If Trevor Lawrence was in New England, would he have had the same season as Mac Jones? Or better? Or worse? So there is so much to say about where guys go and what the decisions that are enter into the teams ahead of you. Like what would the Patriots have done if Carolina was about to take Mac Jones and did or Denver or New Orleans jumped ahead of them. It changes everything when those trades and decisions get made. Last year, it was quarterback, 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 right out of the gates, three picks, three quarterbacks this year. Points bet has the over under for quarterbacks in the entire round at two and a half. And Malik Willis is the favorite, the Liberty quarterback, to be the first quarterback picked. Minus 145. That means you got to bet 145 bucks to win 100. There's an odd quirk that I noticed yesterday. He's the favorite to be the first quarterback picked, even though Peter King doesn't have him going at all in round one in his mock draft. Peter's two quarterbacks are Kenny Pickett at 20 and Matt Corral at 32. No Malik Willis. But Willis is the favorite to be the first guy taken over Kenny Pickett. And at the various spots, if you look throughout round one, Willis is favored over Pickett to be selected in that selection, in that specific slot, other than six to the Panthers. Right. The Panthers is the one spot where Pickett is the favorite at plus 175. And now maybe that's because Matt Rule recruited Kenny Pickett to Tulane, Tulane Temple. Starts with a T, close enough. Ends with an E, starts with a T. <laughs> Tulane Temple, they know who we mean. But uh, uh, I don't know why that's the case. And I don't know what kind of information this is based on. Again, inside information makes the world go round. The sports books need it to set the right odds. The betters need it to beat the odds and get good value. But somebody at points bet knows something because Malik Willis is the favorite to be taken at every spot except six. That's where Pickett jumps Willis. Yeah, sometimes I wonder how much the sports books really know or if they're trying to entice money on both sides and they put it out there. Y- yes, it's an informed and educated guess on each of these things, but I don't know how, so- how well, it's also much a reflection. It's a reflection of the action. You're right. The odds are a reflection of the action. And so if we're getting too heavy one way, we got to shift it so we try to even it out because ultimately we want it 50-50 and then we always make money if, if, the, if, the, if the handle is equal on each side. Right. So what, what does the public want to see, I think, is a big something that enters into bookmaking 
in the first place is it, how are we going to put this line? Where do we want to put it? Well, how are we going to get it so that New England, which is clearly a worse team right now than say Miami or whatever, I'm not saying that, but how are we going to do it? People love to bet New England. New England, the perception is this. So we have to put New England at minus two. So we don't take an absolute bath on Miami if Miami wins outright, whatever. So, you know, when the quarterbacks, the, the quarterback conversation is entered into, there are so many cautionary tales. And again, it's environment. You have pissed away, Jacksonville, a season of Trevor Lawrence. Not only have you pissed it away, but now there's a year to undo. Damage has to be undone. And the calluses and scar tissue, I guarantee you, when Trevor Lawrence writes his post-NFL book, he'll talk about how difficult that first year was under Urban Meyer and the difficulty in trying to gain a culture that was professional. You can't go from, you know, where he was at, at Clemson and the organization that seemed to be present there and then spend a year of disarray in Jacksonville and not be disillusioned with the NFL itself. So Trevor Lawrence has lost a year and probably lost some of this year. Zach Wilson you know, it's f- lost. Go ahead, man. Well, well, I was thinking about Trevor Lawrence because recently he was speaking at the offseason program talking about Doug Peterson, and you could see there was kind of a hesitation. You know, you want to say all the right things, but I think from his perspective, he's shell-shocked a little bit. Like, last year was a nightmare, and I don't know what I'm getting myself into this year. They hired a new coach last year. We thought it was going to work, and it was a disaster. Now we got another new coach. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to expect. I don't know that it's going to be good or not good. And you're absolutely right. With the quarterback position, so many factors go into it. I go all the way back to 1999. I wonder if Donovan McNabb ends up on the Bengals and Achilles Smith ends up on the Eagles. Does Achilles yeah. Smith become the guy who's a starter for 10 years and Donovan McNabb the guy who washes out of the NFL in two? I think it's entirely possible. You put Smith with Andy Reid in that laboratory – that football laboratory with that offense and everything Reed can do to coach up a quarterback to be better than he otherwise was, and you throw McNabb into the wilderness of Cincinnati with no real guidance and no real coaching and no real structure, it's entirely possible that that the in, the careers would have been flipped between the two guys. Would Johnny Manziel or Baker Mayfield – have had different arcs if they went to different different places. Look, I think Johnny Manziel had some uh, difficulties, off-field difficulties were, that were baked into the equation, and he was going to have to conquer those one way or the other. But I think he was less of, he was less <laughs> less likely to do it in Cleveland than he might have done someplace else. And there's only a finite Mike. There's only six to eight teams I think who really seem to create that nest for a player to develop. And they might think they're developing him and they're not. Jimmy Garoppolo under Josh McDaniels, coming from Eastern Illinois, developed beautifully, even as Tom Brady didn't really yield to Jimmy Garoppolo. Saw him as a threat, made it very hard for Jimmy just in competition, not individually, but just competing with him. He wasn't sitting there saying, here's what you want to do on this play, Jimmy. Here's what you want to do here. No, because Jimmy Garoppolo was there to take his job. But still, Garoppolo developed. Jacoby Brissett developed as a fourth round pick under Josh McDaniels to the point where he could go to Indianapolis and be a starter 
after Andrew Luck stepped aside. He could go to Miami and be a contributor. That cocoon that you develop in will dictate everything. So Jacoby Brissett might end up having a better career than, or certainly will and already has, than a Johnny Manziel because of where he began. Now, I think Baker Mayfield would have been a better quarterback if he had landed somewhere else and wasn't stuck with the turmoil of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley as a rookie and then Freddie Kitchens, who never should have been the head coach of that team in 2019. I think they listened a little bit too much to Baker because Baker was comfortable with Freddie Kitchens. That was a disaster. 2020 was much better. Last year was marred by the injury. I think Baker Mayfield still has a chance. Manziel was going to fail wherever he was. Right. Unless he found somebody who was going to bust through his attitude. And and I, I came to this conclusion. Remember the night when they finally were making him the starter in Cleveland in, in 2014 when he was a rookie? And on that Tuesday night, when he found out he was going to start, he went to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers play basketball instead of grinding away, watching game film, night. game plan, right, getting himself ready. Tuesday is game plan he, night. He never had the work ethic, not even close to the work ethic or the attitude necessary. He was Brett Favre without Brett Favre's talent because Brett Favre just wanted to show up and sling it around, and he could. Manziel just wanted to show up and sling it around, and he couldn't. Yeah, and it'll be interesting wherever Malik Willis and and Kenny Pickett um, land, you know, are are they in the right situations? And, you know, you look at Trey Lance, and we have a Jimmy Garoppolo discussion that we need to have here, too, um, in addition to Mayfield. But, but the Garoppolo conversation is interesting, too, because of the, the fact that the Niners can jettison Jimmy Garoppolo for the second overall pick, Trey Lance, to take over. And when you look at Trey Lance, the hesitancy that you see with San Francisco, Mike, why do you believe it's there? Why is San Francisco continuing to be hesitant when they can save all that dough? That may be a topic we get to over the balance of the program. We, again, have a lot to do and not a lot of time within which to do it. When we return, as we were supposed to do at the very top of the show an hour and a half ago, we'll give you some updates and insights on Debo Samuel next here on PFT Live. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Here's Devo Samo over the weekend. Uh, hey, that, that sign says Debo's <laughs> staying with the 49ers, and Debo's like, nope, nope. There, there was plenty of things that showed up over the weekend on social media, and I never know what's real and what's not real because Debo's got a habit of posting things and then deleting them. Like, there was a, <laughs> a screenshot making the rounds of Debo and a text chain with him and Jamal Adams, the Seahawks' safety, and it was never verified. And, and if it was real, the most amazing aspect of it is that Jamal Adams ends his text messages with hashtag Prez, which is which is just boss move. I don't this hasn't been verified. This hasn't been verified. 
And the claim is he tweeted it and deleted it or put it on Instagram and then wiped it out. He's done that with a few things. I don't know what's going on with Debo Samuel other than he wants out of San Francisco. We know that. We don't know why. And I think the why has a lot to do with whether or not he is going to be placated in any way by the 49ers. If it's money, they can pay him. If it's his use, they can alter it. If he just doesn't want to live in California, there isn't much they can do short of relocating the team to make him happy. So we're still waiting for the why, a reliable why he doesn't want to be there. But all we know is he doesn't want to be there. And there were multiple reports over the weekend that the Jets, the Packers, and the Lions have shown initial interest. And anytime I see those same teams from multiple reporters, that tells me that I think the agent's putting it out there to try Mm -hmm. to stir some things. Let's get something going here. I'm surprised there aren't more teams. But when you look at what the 49ers would want for him, and what he's going to want, and he still is largely unproven. He had one great year. He's had some injury issues. He plays with a reckless abandon that isn't conducive to lining up for all 17 regular season games and the playoffs. This is a tough call as to where this is going to go. First question is, are the 49ers going to give him what he wants? And we expect them to because other teams are doing that with disgruntled receivers. That doesn't mean the 49ers are going to throw in the towel on this guy. He's one of their most important players, Tom. He is, but on the other hand, too, if he's going to be recalcitrant in any way, then you probably should jettison him because do you want to spend $35 million a year on a receiver who doesn't want to be there? And that's what you're going to enter into if you're the San Francisco 49ers as you go into the final year of Debo Samuel's contract. And he's made $6 million in his career. If money can be the salve to the wound that he has feeling right now, then fine. But if it isn't going to be and you're going to pay him or he's going to deny every deal, then move on and try and reset in this draft. If you go, for instance, and take the Jets up on perhaps a presumed offer, which I've seen put out there with the 10th overall pick is involved, good, take him. We'll take Jamison Williams at 10. We'll take Chris Olave at 10. We'll find a player. Go ahead, Mikey. No, I see hand raised. I keep coming back to this. Now, look, Devontae Adams gets traded after eight years with the Packers. They have gotten their return on the draft pick that they invested in Adams. Tyree Kill, they won a Super Bowl. They went to another one. The Chiefs mm-hmm. have gotten their return, and they get five picks back, and they don't have to pay him $75 million over three years. The 49ers are just getting started with Debo Samuel. It makes yep. no sense to me. You scratch off a lottery ticket. It becomes Debo Samuel. I don't want more lottery tickets because I don't know that they're going to become Debo Samuel. That's why I think for the 49ers, it is incumbent. Remember last year when Aaron Rodgers was unhappy with the Packers? They went out there and kissed his butt multiple times in California. The brain trust flew from Wisconsin to California to try to work it out with Aaron Rodgers. I, if I'm the 49ers, I'm doing everything I can to get Debo Samuel back into the fold. I, I just... Now, I've said this since I'm the not. news broke on Wednesday. I, they're at fault. How can you let the relationship between you and one of your most important players go to crap like this? How do you let I know. that happen? I know. How does that occur? What did you say or not say? What did you do or fail to do to create this dysfunction? It's on the 49ers to some, to some degree. Unless the only reason is he wants out of California and there's nothing else. Some or all of this is on the 49ers. Certainly. And the 49ers might be happy that it's on them because it's their perception. And I don't know this to be the case. But if you look at, again, I hate to be so Patriot-centric. I know we have a worldwide audience, but I'm going to come back to the Patriots and Tom Brady. Why was Tom Brady allowed to leave? Because the Patriots felt as if they could replace Tom Brady. 
or they in some ways made him and could make another, which maybe they were, are going to, a, an approximation of early Tom Brady with Mac Jones. Same thing with Debo Samuel, have a genius offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan. And they love Debo Samuel, but they don't love Debo Samuel taking 18% of their salary cap because they feel they can create another Debo Samuel. It's the suit. It's not the player inside it. You put him inside that suit where he's a wide receiver and a running back. And yeah, there's not a lot of them, but do you think if Julian Edelman was there, he could have done that? Yeah, maybe. He was a seventh round pick. There are players out there who can do that now. And that's why I think it's hard, I believe, for me to get my mind around $40 million wide receivers. Because you keep pumping receivers... the number up, though. It's 35. Now it's 40. I mean, it's not even at 30 yet. Tyree Kill's 30 is fake. It's phony. It's fraudulent. It's got a $45 million right, so balloon payment the last year. Give me... 25 to 30. 25 to okay. 30 right now. All right. It's still a lot. It's still a lot. When it's there's great receivers coming out every year, it's a lot. So when we get to that point, you have to weigh, okay, can this player take over a game on a regular basis? I think the short running catch guys can more adroitly than, say, for instance, DeAndre Hopkins. I think the guys who work underneath, the Debo Samuels, they're easier to exploit than the downfield X receiver who's working between the numbers on the sidelines all the time. I think those guys who can work the middle of the field, who can take handoffs, who can operate like this after the catch, Tyreek Hill after the catch, they are the coin of the realm going forward. But in order to be that guy, you're going to take a lot of punishment. You're going to move around a lot. And so for Debo Samuel understanding that, I don't know whether this is a stick up and he's entitled to do so. Because making $6 million and taking the punishment that he will working on the interior of a, of a football field is different than DeAndre Hopkins will take. Different than, different than uh, you know, Amari Cooper will take. So he's entitled to try and orchestrate his way, I think, in a way that maybe an ex-receiver isn't. But still, I'm a team. I'm rebooting and saying, I can get another guy to do that. Sorry, Debo. You're awesome. Love you. Great personality. I'm going to find another guy. You're making a point that reminds me of something that former 49ers in Washington GM Scott McLuhan told Mike Reese of ESPN.com, the idea that a, a great receiver is only touching the ball six or eight times per game. You can't make that investment. In. But the other side of the coin is this. If you're that X receiver, you're you're attracting two guys with you everywhere you go. And you're making there's the game planning. You're making the time. You're the red dot guy that they have to account for in every play, and you're opening up the rest of the offense. So there is inherent value in your presence, even if it's not in your production. The other side of this, too, and I keep coming back to just because the Packers gave Devontae Adams what he wanted, just because the Chiefs gave Tyreek Hill what he wanted, don't assume that the NFL has had this fundamental shift where teams are now willing to just move on from anybody who wants out. You know, Mike Tomlin says at least once a year, it's one of his, you know, uh, there's a snake in my boot, pull string comments. We want volunteers, not hostages. You hear that from him. We want volunteers, not hostages. Well, that means all you got to say is I want out and I'm getting out. Not every team is going to do that. And I think back to the Eagles in 2005 with Terrell Owens. And I mm-hmm. think he was ahead of his time. There's a chapter, by the way, in a new book called Playmakers that touches on the Terrell Owens experience in Philadelphia and how differently we viewed Terrell Owens when all he was looking for was a little extra security after having a 2004 season 
in which he wildly exceeded anyone's expectations for him to walk right into Philadelphia and do what he did and then played in the Super Bowl with a broken leg. He just wanted his contract to have greater protections, especially against injury. And the Eagles' attitude was, sorry, you signed a contract. Deal with it. Play for us or play for no Mm -hmm. one. So he embarks on this reign of terror to get himself traded or cut, and it marred the whole season. He still averaged more than 100 yards per game that he played that year, but that's a different point altogether. I just think that there are still some of those folks in the NFL who think the way the Eagles thought in 2005. And their attitude is going to be, I don't care if you want out. You got two choices, Debo. Play for us or play for no one. And we don't know what the 49ers are going to do. We don't. They've said nothing. I don't know when their pre-draft press conferences are, but they've said nothing. We'll get some insight at some point this week. They'll either trade him or they won't. But we don't know what they're going to do. And they very well may let this week unfold with no activity, no action. And the bottom line is they don't say anything. And they just wait for Debo to show up. Because what's he going to do? Not get paid, not play football, not do the thing he loves. Push comes to shove. Maybe he's going to show up. One key difference between 2005 and 2010 and maybe even 2014 or 15 and now, the advent of social media, the rise of social yes. media. Yes, you're absolutely right. player can keep hammering it, and then you can have, say, Matt Judon from the Patriots saying, hey, why don't you come out here? And then all of that gets exercised, and the fan base is heard from, and it's different. The The pressure that can be exerted is so far different now because of it. You're absolutely right. The shirtless driveway sit-ups were your only alternative. The next question press conference on the front lawn from Drew Rosenhaus was your only way to get your message out. Can you imagine – what Terrell Owens would have done with a Twitter page and an Instagram page in 2005. Can you imagine? It would have been relentless. And there's a point where the team just throws its hands in the air and say, we don't need this crap. We don't need it. Let's just move on from it. It's given the players a very valuable weapon. Let's check this box uh, before we take a break quickly. Jimmy G. He went on a little mini media tour last week. I think he's trying his best in a kind of passive-aggressive way to push back against the 49ers' plan to squat on him as long as possible, wait for a trade, and maybe cut him right before the start of the regular season. At that point, he'll be a man without a country. Every other depth Mm -hmm. chart is set. I can't imagine them paying him $25 million this year unless they are very concerned about Trey Lance and and they don't want to admit it. How do you think this is going to play out? I don't have insight into it unfortunately i would say that the most likely way it plays out is you have to move on from jimmy garoppolo and not get into the second year of trey lance watching jimmy garoppolo play at a sometimes highly competent sometimes below average level if he's sitting behind again aaron Rodgers or you know lamar jackson i would say would be the 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 bottom level for for trey lance of guys that you'd say okay let him sit there but Jimmy doesn't qualify as a guy that I would say, let's put a first-round quarterback draft pick and sit him for two years watching this player. Like, if Baker Mayfield was a quarterback in, in San Francisco right now, I'd say, okay, let's get him out and, and give Trey Lance his opportunity. He's the second overall pick. You have to use him. You're losing time on his rookie contract, which in some ways, Mike, A quarterback on a rookie contract is the most valuable thing in sports. And the 49ers can't take advantage of it because they're still spending $25 million on that room on a player they're not convinced of. 
but you have a Super Bowl caliber roster. They have such a Sophie's Choice here that it's uh, it's really interesting when you think about it that they've gotten to the, themselves into this position. And the last reason they're in that position too, Mike, is because Bill Belichick knocked on their door and left a baby on their doorstep that they probably didn't want, and they took it in and they nurtured it. And the whole time they're like, I don't really love you. <laughs> hey, it all happened at a time when Kyle Shanahan, who didn't scout Patrick Mahomes, didn't do the workup on Mahomes in the 2017 draft when they could have had him or Deshaun Watson, didn't look at quarterbacks. He thought he was getting Kirk Cousins the following year in free agency. And he thought he was getting Cousins up until someone talked him into Jimmy G. He wasn't happy about that. He didn't want Jimmy G. And then, you know, the thinking is last year when they traded up from 12 to 3, he wanted Mac Jones and somebody talked him into Trey Lance. And I think that's the great unknown here. What do they really think about Trey Lance? Oh, I said they, two. They, huh? seem, Sorry, they seem to be ready to move on from Jimmy G <clears throat> to Trey Lance. But they're stubborn in their mindset that they can get something for Jimmy G. So they're holding that $25 million cap charge. They're barely $500,000 under the cap right now. They need that money to sign Debo Samuel if he would decide to stay, which it looks like he's not. They need that money for Nick Bosa. Wouldn't that be the ultimate double whammy if Nick Bosa asks for a trade this week? Those are their two most important players right now, Debo and Bosa. Spend on those guys while you have the quarterback on the rookie contract. All right, let's take a break. When we return... Week two of the USFL has come and gone. Highlights from the four games played in Birmingham when PFT Live continues right after this. Laying whiskey down, sip brandy. Are you intoxicated Fetch right now? another round. Throw <laughs> some whiskey and wine. Say, let's say brandy. You're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Such a fine. <laughs> <laughs> ow, 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 my leg. Uh, those were back in the Happier days when times. I actually left the house. <laughs> that was my the God. happy hour edition. Three years ago. That was before the apocalypse uh, emerged on us. Yeah, that was early in the day, too. So if we were drinking... That probably would have been a violation of multiple NBC policies. We I have no have idea why time. I was singing it like this. Any glasses singing it like that? Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. We got okay. a lot to do here. We're doing a draft of the all-time <clears throat> best draft picks under Bill Belichick, who's been obviously with the team since 2000. Mm-hmm. Everyone's eligible except Tom Brady, because obviously that would be the first pick. By the way, Mike Reese pointed out yesterday, 83 draft day trades made by Bill Belichick, far and away the most since 2000. I think a lot of it has to do with he's in charge. He doesn't have to worry about getting anyone on the same page. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. All right, you get the first pick, Tom Curran. Best draft pick made by the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick since 2000. All right, non-Brady draft picks. I'm going to take Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski. We're doing Brady? No Brady. No, I said non-Brady. No Brady. Okay, fine. I'm going to take Rob Gronkowski, 2010, second-round pick, 20 years old, coming off a season at Arizona in which he did not play. He ends up going on to become arguably the greatest tight end in NFL history, and as a result, he helped catapult them to however many Super Bowl appearances they had last decade and three Super Bowl wins. But he was never a Super Bowl MVP, unlike a gentleman who was selected in round seven 
at a position where they have struggled to draft and develop receivers. We have done the stories, and I've gone back and looked at all the guys from, remember Chad Jackson, what a disaster that was when they used a second-round pick on him way back in 2005 or 6-ish. But Julian Edelman, a seventh-round pick who would become not just the successor to Wes Welker, but a Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl 53. Great value from a seventh-round pick, Tom. Great value from a seventh round pick. And again, it's interesting because that's a drafted wide receiver who was developed to replace a wide receiver they had brought in via free agency, Wes Welker. They love the free agent route. Let's go next with my first, uh, excuse me, my second round pick. It's going to be Richard Seymour in 2001, sixth overall pick. The Patriots had to hit on that pick. They are coming off a five and 11 season and Bill Belichick, finds the anchor who ends up being a hall of fame anchor for his defensive line in Richard Seymour in 2001 first round number six overall now it gets a little more difficult you know where I'm gonna go I hey I, I I am a student of the Jimmy Johnson school of special teams it is one third of the game it is as important as offense and defense and if you take it for granted you end up losing at home to an overmatched 49ers team like the Packers did Matthew Slater is a fifth-round pick in 2008. The amount of years they've gotten out of him, he has been a cornerstone. He was recently compared to the likes of a Lawrence Taylor on defense, the importance he's had to the special teams in New England by Bill Belichick since 2008. I'll go Matthew Slater. Sneaky, under-the-radar, solid draft pick. They never would have dreamed that he would still be on the team through all these Super Bowl wins and also uh, be such a cornerstone of their special teams and still keep going. You got something to say about him? We got to take a break. You got something? Love it. No, I think that's a great pick. Tremendous and good stuff. And that's we're done. Let's take a break. We got one more round of the best draft picks made by the Patriots under Bill Belichick. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, there's the draft so far of the best draft picks made by Bill Belichick since he arrived as head coach of the Patriots and de facto GM in 2000. Tom, you are on the clock for the third pick. Who you got? I'm going Vince Wilfork, 2004, wins a Super Bowl as a rookie, helps to solidify that defensive line and keep those linebackers clean all the way until 2014, and also helps to shepherd through that Patriots way culture that he learned under Seymour, Vrabel, Brewski, and then passed it on to the next generation. Really a huge cultural touchstone taken in the first round. I think it was 24th overall. I should know that off the top of my head. What the hell? Out of the University of Miami. And that's a great pick because he was the defensive bridge between the two halves of the dynasty. Tom Brady offense, Vince Wilfork defense. Good pick by you. I I thought about Steven Guskowski because when Adam Vinatieri leaves for the Colts, they use a fifth-round pick on Guskowski, and he keeps the kicker position under control for a hell of a long time. But I'll go with Deion Branch, another Super Bowl MVP. Another, you know, when you look at the – road of pissed away draft picks at the receiver position that Bill Belichick has had. You've got two Super Bowl MVPs. Not many teams can say they've drafted two receivers over the past 20 years who have become Super Bowl MVPs. The Patriots can. Deion Branch, second round pick, but still won a Super Bowl MVP. It, it fell apart once he decided he wanted to get paid and they didn't want to pay him. They eventually traded him after an acrimonious holdout to the Seattle Seahawks, but he was a Super Bowl MVP. So I'll go that way, Tom. Also really cool about Dion Branch when they finally said enough is enough with Randy Moss and they dealt him. 
the guy that they brought in to replace Moss in 2010 was Dion Branch, and he ended up playing the next two-plus seasons for the team and had a nice little run with them when he came back, helped to reconfigure their offense. What a steal that was during the draft in 2007 to get Randy Moss, a guy that we all thought was washed up and done. He hadn't even had 10 years in the NFL at that point, but he had two disastrous seasons with the Raiders. And the bottom line is they stunk. So he, he was the guy that he was in Minnesota when things wouldn't go well. He was just that way every week because the Raiders were bad every week. People just forgot how great he was. And what'd they get him for? Fourth round pick? Fourth round pick. They, That's one of the all-time Moss. great trade steals ever and he comes in he has one of the great seasons for any receiver ever right away and it also it also led to the al davis overhead projector press conference um in which he said that (laughs) mike lombardi actually um told everybody that moss was slow and then sent him to the patriots as a favor to bill belichick Secret workout in Miami where Belichick got to see how fast he was, and Davis accused Lombardi and Belichick of being in cahoots. I remember that vividly. Cahoots. And then Lombardi cahoots. would go on to work with Belichick. Purely coincidental. Purely coincidental. This Nothing to do with the hours. gift that was given. It's fun. I do it every day. Come on, man. We'll have you back sometime. Con- I'll get in condition for it, and I'll be back. When Sims we'll have, we'll have you next back has to have his shirts pressed. Go back to bed. Thanks for some of your time. Everyone out there, thanks for listening and or watching. We'll see you at 5 o'clock Eastern for PFT PM. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.